On November 20th, 2020, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services released final rules amending the regulations to the Stark Law and anti-kickback statute. As part of our analysis of the regulatory sprint, we're exploring the most significant changes and the impact they could have on your organization. Today, we'll be discussing reducing the burden, noteworthy changes to the Stark Law. So let's start with the big picture. Has CMS succeeded in its goal of reducing the Stark Law burden? Monica, what are your thoughts there? Yes, so in many ways, CMS um, did provide new avenues for providers to avoid technical noncompliance with the Stark Law um, and did in fact succeed in its goal of reducing the Stark Law burden, which was set forth in the proposed rule and finalized as part of the final rules. Um, what we see is a framework of interwoven new exceptions, special rules, um, some additional um, changes that were not included as part of the proposed rule and policy clarifications that should be welcome and helpful to most providers. And while many of these changes that have been finalized as part of the proposed rule um, are things that we and, and certainly the government and, and probably all of the providers out there would consider to be best practices, such as documenting arrangements, um, setting compensation in advance, preferably in assigned writing and signing documents before the compensation arrangement begins, CMS does recognize that best practices are not always able to take place as part of operations um, and that some of these um, changes are evidence that CMS does not necessarily view some of these technical requirements as posing a material risk to program or patient abuse. As I noted before, the proposed rule changes finalized um, with some modifications. Um, most of what was proposed as part of the proposed rules um, Certainly, CMS took into account comments um, that they received, and in some cases, the new limited remuneration to providers exception, um, the amount of compensation that was permissible was $3,500 was proposed, was now increased to $5,000 per year as part of the final rule. So um, the proposed rules really did try to provide um, avenues, and the final rules sought to utilize those and in some cases make them even more favorable. And as I noted earlier, too, uh, the final rule does also um, take into account some additional changes that weren't in the proposed rule, one of which being um, further clarification about the ability to cure noncompliance and ongoing arrangements, and also a new special rule that allows parties to reconcile discrepancies for comp arrangements within 90 days of termination of the arrangement. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Nick to talk about some additional um, changes that have been made to help reduce the burden um, for providers and suppliers. Thanks, Monica. Yeah, so in the final rule, we're seeing a lot of helpful burden reduction activities, as you, as you indicated, coming from CMS in the final rule. Uh, these include the changes to the set in advance um, standard and the clarification surrounding the set in advance standard, which is CMS acknowledging that the requirement or what was a so-called requirement that compensation be set in advance was not a requirement at all, but rather a deeming provision that if compensation is set in advance in a writing, that it will be deemed to be set in advance, but that's not a requirement, meaning that parties now have uh, CMS affirmatively say, stating that this is a special rule and compensation can be set in advance even if it's not set forth in a formal written agreement. So that really allows parties to um, cobble together you know, documentation uh, or not even documentation, but other types of maybe we could even see affidavits that certain compensation terms are set in advance even though they're not in a writing. 
so that was one really, I think, helpful change that uh, will alleviate some of that technical non-compliance uh, burden that providers are facing. Also, we have some other clarifications surrounding set in advance that uh, you that allows for additional modifications of compensation terms in arrangements uh, if the if certain standards are met, which I think will allow again greater flexibility for parties to uh, meet the set in advance requirements, change the uh, terms of certain arrangements uh, in a in a broader pattern that maybe they didn't feel comfortable doing before, even if it was policy of CMS that this was allowed. Now they have that uh, additional clarification from CMS that makes them have a level of comfort um, surrounding changing those relationships. We also saw CMS you know, do some regulatory changes. Uh, Monica, as, as you did mention, such as restoring the payments by a physician exception. Here we see CMS um, having the final rule remove some of the restrictions that uh, really uh, limited the applicability of the payments by physician exception and now allows the exception to really cover arrangements uh, to anything except for those arrangements that are specifically addressed in one of the Stark Law's statutory exceptions codified at 411.357a through h. So I think that will give providers another avenue to make sure that they are complying and have the ability to use these exceptions to a greater degree where, where the payments provided physician exception may not have been available previously based on regula the regulations as they were uh, promulgated. Also, as, as Monica, you mentioned, there's updates to the period of disallowance that will really allow providers to cure or monitor arrangements live or, or even cure arrangements uh, for a period of 90 days after they have been um, uh, terminated. So, and rectify any compensation arrangements related to footfalls. Uh, we also saw an expansion of the fair market value exception to now cover leases. So now a lease does not necessarily need to be a year um, and we cannot, we don't need to just use the rental of office space exception. We can use the fair market value exception to cover those leasehold arrangements. Of course, some uh, additional elements have been in incorporated into the fair market value exception to cover those lease arrangements, but now that is available to also um, to also be utilized by parties. Uh, we also saw an expansion of the 90-day days to obtain not just uh, signatures, but now a writing. So parties now have 90 days to uh, have a formal written agreement or a contemporaneous record of writings to support a arrangement and to satisfy that writing requirement that we see in a lot of the compensation exceptions to the Stark Law. Um, we also saw the revision of the definition of DHS to now exclude inpatient hospital services um, from the definition uh, of, of DHS and other payment systems uh, to clarify that less of the DHS referrals are going to be covered um, from if there's not an additional charge related to uh, that, that referral from a provider. And of course, we also saw uh, a revision to the recruitment exceptions uh, signature requirements, which again, is just helpful uh, surrounding some of these very technical requirements for uh, the recruitment compensation exception uh, that you know are just kind of uh, nitpicky and and are not necessarily uh, posing that 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 uh, fraud and abuse risk that we see with maybe some of the big three um, 
and the like. But um, that, you know, we're talking a lot about the um, burden reduction pieces of the, of the Stark final rule. I think it's always also important to talk about what isn't necessarily burden reducing. So, so Monica, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what items you think in this final rule really cut against the, um, the policy grain on burden reduction. Sure, um, when we won't spend a, a ton of time on this since we do wanna advocate the favorable aspects of it. Um, but there's two points in particular we wanted to highlight um, on this particular video cast. Um, one of which pertains to the group practice profit share definition. And this is um, a result of some clarification um, and comments that CMS had been receiving with respect to um, some concerns or some um, interpretation questions throughout the health law community as to what was meant with respect to um, how the profit share rule could actually be structured in practice. And so as part of the proposed rule and then finalized as part of the final rule, um, CMS has made clear that the group practices um, who are using the group practice definition um, for purposes of the in-office ancillary services exception um, may not use DHS specific pods for purposes of distributing DHS profits. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, earlier, there has been, again, some confusion throughout or some um, misinterpretation um, with respect to these specific um, requirements that were in existing regulatory text. And so because this is considered a change um, and because CMS does recognize that compensation for physicians needs to be set in advance um, prospectively and that many times the physician compensation um, it might have some type of an annual um, implementation that they have delayed the effective date for this portion of the rule to January 1, 2022. So um, for some providers and suppliers out there who have structured their methodologies in accordance with CMS's confirmed interpretation, um, there will be possibly no reason to make the change for others um, that may need to implement some type of perspective change. CMS has afforded some flexibility in terms of the timeframe. Um, and then one thing to note that DHS um, from any component of the group that consists of at least five physicians, um, and CMS clarified that, that that component can also include all physicians in the group, while it must be aggregated before that distribution, um, the, there is a permissible option um, that CMS clarified that allows different distribution methodologies um, to be utilized so long as they're um, in accordance with the um, at least five physicians and that any distribution to physicians is not directly related to the volume or value of the physician's referrals. Um, and so again, additional clarifications and, and um, helpful guidance to the community, especially those that, that work in the physician, um, physician practice space. The other um, section that we wanted to flag for you with respect to some of the potential burdens is that CMS finalized changes to the Stark regs um, that clarify that it does not consider the isolated financial transaction exception to apply to payments for multiple services provided over an extended period of time, even if there's only a single payment for all the services. Um, and I think CMS had taken this into account as part of um, SRDP filings, voluntary um, filings, and, and you know questions that providers and others had raised with them with respect to the use of the acidic transactions exception and trying to see if that would be a way for them to um, argue that relationships um, might be protected um, and not have to be disposed necessarily. And so CMS has now taken this time to explain its position. Um, they have also confirmed that this exception is available to cover forgiveness of an amount owed in settlement of a bona fide dispute um, if certain conditions are met, including if the amount is fair market value, and not determined in a manner that takes into account the volume or value of referrals or other business generated. So 
again, um, might be considered a burden for some, but additional clarifications um, also evidencing that it is a benefit um, in certain circumstances. And I think with that, I'm gonna ask Nick um, what he thinks are the primary changes um, that we'll see once implemented and how these changes will impact the healthcare industry beyond provider organizations. Yes, thanks, Monica. I mean, hopefully what we'll see is just less of a focus and consternation surrounding some of these just technical issues uh, that providers have felt they needed to disclose or, you know, potentially face FCA liability uh, related to, you know, FCA liability can be trouble damages and, and just very uh, scary prospect for a lot of providers and, and you hate to see that over a signature, right? Um, you know, relatedly, hopefully we'll see less in the way of uh, the, the FCA suits that are being brought on these frivolous kind of technical non-compliance matters. Now, many of these instances with these, this final rule uh, may not even be considered non-compliant uh, based on, on, on the new kind of uh, elasticity of some of the special rules and new uh, exceptions that have been uh, promulgated. Again, these, uh, given these changes are really a safety net for when compliance practices may not go strictly, strictly to plan, it, it's hopefully just going to give providers just a little bit more ease of mind. You know, I think one judge in, uh, had, has described the Stark Law as a booby trapped rigged with strict liability and potentially ruinous exposure. And just hopefully these changes take a little bit of the bite out of that strict liability sting uh, of the Stark Law. McDermott will continue to provide thought leadership on various elements of these final rules in the coming days and weeks. Please visit mwe.com slash sprint ready for more information.